Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. Um, I am glad to be here, and uh, I'm not like a big holiday guy necessarily, but I am excited. I'm excited about Christmas. I'm excited about the season and just how God has a way of, I think, stirring in a season like this. Um, if you're a guest, my name is Will Plunk. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, <clears throat> but before we jump into our text today, one just uh, little encouragement to our family around this season. Um, I, I, uh, a lot of us have little kids. I have little kids. And um, I think it is very important as we enter into the Christmas season to think about what does it look like to instill into our children why we do what we do, what Christmas really is. Um, I remember um, as an adult, um, I think we were, I was either newly married uh, or engaged to my now wife and sitting down, like sharing Christmas with them and coming down and there's all these gifts and I remember as a kid, you know, like what are you excited about? I already feel like I failed my kids because we asked them two days ago, what are you excited about for Christmas? They said the gifts. I'm like, I'm failing as a pastor. But, you know, that's what you're excited about. But coming down as an adult and my father-in-law actually opening up the Christmas story and reading it. And as he read the story, we reflected on the importance of it and why it matters. And that's what we did first. And my wife grew up with that, that tyranny where she, instead of getting to open the gifts right away, had to hear the Christmas story read, you know. And, um, but there is something, you know, whether you appreciate it as a kid, maybe when you're older you appreciate it, but there's something about going, what, what is this? And how do we actively fight to cultivate in the next generation the why behind this season and not get lost in consumerism? But I would also say, too, for those of you maybe who, who are single or going home for the holidays or wherever you are, the same is true for you. Like, before you enter into the festivities, stop Read, whether it's Luke, where we are, Matthew, or John, read the, read the story and realize that this day is for you even in the middle of brokenness, right? Or maybe it's a chance you're going home to a family of non-Christians and you can just say, hey, this is what I've come to believe and love and want to share this with you. Would you read it with me? And they might be like, this is tyranny until the gifts are open, but it's a chance for you to share your faith. So I just want to encourage us to make the most of the season. Let me pray and we'll jump in. Father in heaven come before you today and do want to ask that you would just be with us, that you would be over it. Sovereign Lord, you are in control of, of the workings of this service. You're in control of the workings of the sermon, the way in which we listen, the way in which the Spirit moves, and how we are changed or left the same. So we just pray that today would be a day we would be changed, that today would be a day where we're open to the working of the Spirit that today would be a day where we believe that the word of God is true, and because it is true, it is powerful, and because it is powerful, it can change us. We pray that would be true. We don't want our minds to be the same. We don't want our feelings or affections to be the same, nor our actions. We want to be totally different people because of your, um, your word that is infallibly true. We desire Jesus for your name to be made known. We do rejoice, and we do joy in you that you have Come, that God has incarnated himself, he's become flesh, and so now we can reach out and touch you, and you've reached out and touched us, that you empathize us in, with us in every way. That's the kind of God you are. Jesus is a great name. 
you save. That's your name, and that's what you do for us. And I pray for those of us who have been saved through the blood of Jesus, that we would recognize that salvation is not intended to only be past tense but is instead intended to have present and ongoing effect. That that salvation is progressive, that we are being transformed, we are being renewed as our mind gets changed and as we hear your word and fellowship in community and get to sing songs back to you. God, you are God. You are God. And we thank you that we're not but that we as your kids today get to sit and to listen to your word. Be with us, Holy Spirit. All God's kids said, amen. We've been in an Advent series. This is our Christmas service as a church, and um, we're bringing our Advent series to an end. Advent means coming or arrival as we anticipate the coming of Christ. We got to hear it read. He's been born, and now we get a chance to look at these two old people who have been waiting on the Messiah. This man named Simeon, who's a devout and righteous man, who's been promised that before he died, he would see the Messiah that would be the consolation of Israel. And Anna, an elderly widow who's been waiting on the child that would bring about the redemption of the people of Israel. So we're going to talk about waiting today. Everybody say waiting. I don't know about you, but I'm not really the best waiter. How good are you guys at it? I know Christmas season, with a lot of it, I think there comes a lot of waiting, right? Like, for many of us, we've been waiting to just get a little break. Amen? Who've been waiting to get a little break? You know what I'm saying? Who've been waiting to get a little break? You teachers out there, I know you've been like, the, the semester is over. You're like, praise Jesus. Same with the students. To get away from you teachers, they're like, praise Jesus, the semester's over. For some of us, though, it's family. We've been excited about seeing family. Some, some of you haven't seen family you're going to see over the holidays in years. And the idea of getting to be together is exciting and <laughs> bringing anxiety. Both, both things at the same time, possibly, as you anticipate family. And for some of you still, even though maybe as a kid, but even as an adult, you're like, but I'm excited about that present, though. Maybe those new you know, AirPods, whatever. Like, I'm excited about this gift thing, whatever right? Like there's all this, this kind of waiting, I think, that can go along with the season. But what we get to see in our text today is that waiting has always been, and I believe will be until Jesus comes back again, an integral part of the life of the people of God. Waiting is an integral part of our life. And it has been historically for the people of God. You think about Abraham, our father Abraham, who was promised descendants that would outnumber the stars and the sky and the grains of sand on the beaches. He's promised this at 75, and he waits till he's 100 before he has a kid, Isaac. And Isaac is just the seed of that promise that he's waiting for. So he's been waiting. You think about the nation of Israel, Abraham's descendants, who go into Egypt awaiting their redemption and release from slavery. You know how long they were in Egypt? 400 years. That means generations came and generations went as the people of God corporately waited redemption. Some of you think you've been waiting for a while for stuff, you know what I'm saying? 
But then even after that, they go into the wilderness awaiting the promised land, but they wait 40 years. And the generation that goes into the wilderness is not the generation that enters the promised land. They've been waiting. And then after they inhabit the promised land due to their disobedience, they're then exiled into foreign communities, and then they're waiting. And then after hundreds of years, they get brought back, but they're still waiting the Messiah, the fulfillment. And so now we have Simeon and Anna who are waiting this Messiah. Verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 23. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. So they're, they're doing things in keeping with the fulfillment of the law, 24, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Already, this is what you see, Jesus has been born up in the world, and already what is happening is, is everything that is required by the law, Jesus is already doing. It's actually really beautiful. So he is fully, as, as now he's, he's a child, but he's fully empathized, sympathized. He, he, he is representing us, yet he is keeping all the things perfectly, right? Already, he is fulfilling the requirements of the law. His, his parents are making sure that happens so that he can be, live a life we could never live and die a death we could never die. And then his righteousness that, that he has earned that we could never earn is gonna get given to us because he's fulfilling everything. But not only that, you see what the sacrifice is for that his parents give, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. This sacrifice is actually the one that is uh, uniquely, it's a concession for the least of these or the poor. So this isn't the regular sacrifice. This is actually the concession given to the poor. So we also get that Jesus, not only is he empathizing with us perfectly, but he actually comes into humble means, poor means, hard means, means, and that's how he's going to fulfill everything he fulfills. And then we get our two people we're looking at today, 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting, everybody say waiting, for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So now moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts where the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. So you got Simeon, this man who is elderly, who's, been, who's received this promise that he is going to get to see the consolation of Israel. That word consolation is periclesis. Periclesis might remind you, and I don't know why it actually would, but the, the Greek word in, in uh, John 14 and 16, when, when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, is paraclete. It's the same root word, paraclete, paraclesis. You remember when Jesus says the paraclete's going to come, he's saying the comforter's going to come. You see, Jesus has always been in the business of comforting his people when they're, dis, when they're uncomfortable, when they're in a hard spot, when things are difficult. So now Simeon is waiting for the consolation or the comforting of Israel because Israel is in a hard spot. Isn't this why we wait? We wait on things, especially the biggest things in our life, not for no reason, but because we're in a hard spot, typically. 
I think about those in our church fellowship who, who are struggling with infertility. And because of that hard spot, it's what waiting on a child. Loneliness and isolation. For some, feeling like I'm waiting on a spouse or a good community or fellowship. Chronic pain. Sickness. What does that do? It bursts a waiting on healing. Even maybe a hard situation at work where you just don't feel like things are right or you don't have a job. And what are you doing? You're waiting on God to give you that job or to give you the one that you, you want because you're in a hard spot. Anxiety and depression. It's like you're waiting for God to pull that off of you. Or even if it's just a chronic sin struggle that you feel like it's been relentless and you're waiting, in a sense, for God to do something about it. Isn't it often that it's the difficult things in life that produce this waiting in us? And it's true for Israel, too. And Simeon, he's waiting for the comfort of Israel, the consolation of Israel. And he's been promised that before he die, he would see the Lord's Messiah. So it doesn't say that he's going to see the Lord's Messiah as a baby. So you got to think he's expecting the consolation of Israel, the comfort of a nation who's been under the oppression of Rome, and he's going to see the Lord's Messiah. I mean, like if you think you're waiting for that promise, what do you think the Lord's Messiah is going to look like? Like a conquering king, right? Like riding in on a white stallion, just coming in like to take name, like you like that's what you think, not this little baby. Not this little baby. Let me read you this quote from a commentary. It says this, if I can read it. Most likely these crowds around Simeon who would have been there through the coming of redemption thought about the coming of redemption in political terms. After all, Israel had been groaning under foreign oppression for centuries. The arrival of a deliverer who would throw off the shackles of Roman rule in Jerusalem and restore the glory of Israel was certainly a cause of joy and excitement. You see, most people, when they thought about the coming of the Lord's Messiah, this messianic figure, this Lord figure, they thought about a guy who would come and who would deliver Israel from their political and national oppression. Most likely, literally, they thought somebody was going to come and, and just throw off the thumb of Rome, and so Israel, the nation, could finally flourish. Get this, family. They thought that the Messiah would deliver them from their circumstances, but what we're going to find out is he's going to deliver us for something so much greater than our circumstances. You see, I don't know about you, but I'm a bad waiter. I don't really have patience. And, and, and part of that is just, I go, it's the, it's the culture we live in, right? Like it's Insta everything, Instacart, Instagram, Amazon Prime, you know what I'm saying? Like I can't even wait for a YouTube video to load. Literally the other day I was trying to show someone a YouTube video and it took maybe 10 seconds and I started to get anxious sweats because of how long it took it to load in front of them. Maybe it's the culture, but here's the thing too, family. I think for me, and I think for many of us, the reason we're a bad waiter is because we're waiting on the wrong things. Maybe we know we have need, but we know not what we need. So we're waiting, 
realizing there's a void, realizing there's difficulty, realizing there's discomfort, but the thing we think needs to fulfill that comfort might not be the thing we need at all. And I think this has to be Simeon, and this has to be the people of Israel in that time period. Like, literally, if you continue to read the Gospel of Luke or any of the Gospels, you see how many people miss Jesus. Like, Jesus comes, and so many people miss him. He is the Messiah, and you're like, why don't you get it? And even the disciples who are walking with him so often don't understand what he's doing. They're like, why are you going to die? This doesn't make sense. You're literally supposed to go be enthroned. Why would you go to die? I don't get it. So much so that Peter, right, like the rock of the church, what's he say when Jesus says he's going to go die? He says, no, not let it be. And then Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, right? Because he's like, I have a mission to go do. I'm going to go do something that you don't think I should do, but is exactly what you need. Yeah, I think for me and for many of us, we struggle with waiting because we're not waiting on the right things. We know we have need, but maybe we know not what we need. Ain't nobody going to talk back, all right? Here's why. It's because I'm saying we realize that, that there is something deep in us that is broken, and we want, we, we're struggling, you could say, with infertility, and we think the thing we need is a child, we feel lonely. And we think the thing we need is a spouse or the right friendship. We're in this workplace and we think we just need a little bit of rest from those circumstances that we're in. We, we, we are in anxiety and depression. We feel like God has to lift that up for us to have peace. Our, our financial situation doesn't seem right, and we think we can't actually have pure stability until God really <laughs> downloads into our bank account all the money that we need, and then maybe. What are you waiting on, family? I'm curious what it is the thing that you're waiting on, but also why. Also why. Look at Simeon. So Simeon sees this baby, and this is what I think, like he realizes in this moment, he did not need a Messiah who would alleviate the pressure of Roman tyranny, but instead he needed a Messiah who would deliver him from death, sin, and slavery. Look at this. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts, and the parents brought the child to Jesus to do for him what was custom with the law of the Lord. Simeon took, look at 28, took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He goes, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now I'm good to go die. Look, He's like, I can depart in peace. You gave me this promise that one day I'd see the Messiah that would bring the consolation and the comfort of Israel. I've seen the Messiah. Now I'm good to go. Our family, what would, like, what would make you go, I'm, I'm good to go? I'm, I'm ready. 
Everything I need is fulfilled. For him, it is, the, it is experiencing, seeing, actually holding baby Jesus in his hands. That's the thing that so fills him up and satisfies him that he says, now I can have peace. It is just experiencing and witnessing and holding Jesus is the thing that he says I've needed when I was waiting. The thing they said would fill me up when I was empty, who would deliver me when I needed rescue. It was just Jesus himself. Uh, if you've been tracking in our Advent series, what you've seen in Luke's gospel account is, is there, there are uh, many times which the characters break out into song. And every single time they break up into song in the beginning of Luke's gospel, it's in response to the, a true, legitimate experience of Jesus. And this is what's true. We were talking about it a couple weeks ago. When we truly experience Jesus, we get filled and we want to sing. Like that's just what the human heart does. There's some sort of response to the filling. This is the final infancy hymn in Luke's gospel account. And what I think is contained in here are some incredibly beautiful things that can actually stabilize us in waiting and help align us for what we're waiting for. Look at how he starts. He starts and says, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. That's how he begins his song. So it's the acknowledgement that God's sovereign. What does sovereign mean? Not only is he omniscient, knowing everything, but he's in control. So as we're waiting, Simeon says, I've been praying and engaging with a sovereign Lord who's in control. Meaning no part of the waiting is for null. Meaning, although I can feel like the world be random, the world is not random. And for those of us in Christ, what it promises us in Romans 8, 28, is God works for the good of those who love him. Yes, it is not the good that we think, but it is the good that the sovereign Lord is working. So we never think the waiting be for nothing because he goes, sovereign Lord, God is in control. I am not one who, who is, it is not up to me to fulfill myself now. What it says in Psalm 121, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Do you know God doesn't sleep so you can? He's always working. He is the sovereign Lord. This in and of itself gives us a different level of peace in our waiting, doesn't it? Literally, for those of you who, who are marked by an extraordinary amount of discomfort right now, like, like legitimate pain or frustration as you think about something that you would so desire, what, what Simeon is saying is that God is still sovereign. He is absolutely in control. He has not just spun the world out into existence and taken his hands off, but his hands are intimately involved. Do you know that in your waiting, God is sovereign and he's Lord? The next thing he says he goes, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Everybody say promised. As you have promised. So Simeon's waiting was connected to God's promise. Simeon's waiting was not connected to just his wants. You see, I think a lot of us are waiting, on, waiting for God to do things that God didn't ever say he was going to do. And we don't know that because we hadn't read the Bible. And so we're confused about what God would want to do because we haven't read the Bible and we think he wants to do things he would never want to do and he doesn't want to do them because he loves you too much to do them in the first place. As you have promised, Simeon said. 
My hopes and desires are attached to the promises of God. Listen, family, when we start waiting for the things that God has promised, you know what we can always have confidence in? God's going to do them. He's going to fulfill them. It will come to be. And then in our waiting, we get to pray things that are in alignment with the will of God, and we get to watch God do stuff he would, that we could never do, but only he could do which is what Simeon is experiencing right now as he's holding Jesus, literally saying this song over Jesus, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. And now he says this, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Family, I often struggle with waiting because I am waiting for the wrong things, thinking if I get my circumstance to change, then I can have peace. You like me? thinking if I get this external thing given, if I finally get to the place I need to get in work, in relationship, with school, if I just can, if I can just get there, then I can have peace. Anybody believe that lie? Like if you can just, just a little bit longer, I just got to get through this next season, I'm going to get a little bit of rest, right? Get through exams, and then I'm going to, then what happens? Maybe you get a day, but then he's back at it again. It's crazy. Even in the family of God, it's like, I just want a church. We finally find a church, and then the church isn't everything we want it to be. Finally find a relationship, marriage. Not everything we wanted it to be. Kid, the kid's not everything we wanted it to be. But what you see, family, again, is he goes, just as you have promised, now he can have peace. Our peace is attached to the promises of God and his working. Verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I think this is the most important part. For my eyes have seen your salvation. What's he say about the salvation? Which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for the people of Israel. It's not going to just be that you remove the Gentiles or the Romans. It's actually going to be a light for them and the glory for Israel. But he goes, he goes, my eyes have seen your salvation. Here's the big thing. Simeon realizes that salvation is not an event. It's a person. It's not a what it's a who. It's not that God would give us something. It's that God would give us someone. It's not that we've been delivered from our circumstances. It's that Jesus has been delivered to us in the middle of our circumstances. It's that we can know him. It's that we can have him. This is what it is to be a Christian. It's that we, in the middle of our circumstances, regardless of the waiting, now we actually, there isn't already but not yet, but the already is Jesus. The already is this person who is the fullness of joy. This person who, who can actually give for us the core values, I think, that we so often look for to this world. One of the things it says in Psalm 115 it says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Why do the nations say, where is our God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And then it says this, their gods or their idols are made of silver and gold. It says they have mouths but cannot speak, 
eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. All those who make them will be like them and so will all those who trust in them. You see, for me, I think I struggle to wait because often I'm waiting on the wrong things. I want something that's made out of an idol. I want something that I can see, that I can smell, that I can touch, that's right in front of me. When God says all those things, they're just illusions. These things we're waiting for often in our life are illusions of satisfaction and deep lasting pleasure and and stability and comfort when he's offering himself saying, I'm the only one who can truly bring it. Jesus is like, it's me. And Simeon's looking at this baby, it's like, it's him. Like, he sees this baby, but but he's not going to witness this baby growing up, living a life Simeon couldn't have lived, dying a death Simeon couldn't have died, or raising from the grave. He doesn't even witness any of that, but he sees this person, and in this moment, he realizes, this is it. This is actually what I've been waiting for, maybe in a different form than I thought he would come in but he is it. And I wonder if God's trying to do the same thing in us. Give us something that maybe we've been waiting for and not even knowing it in a different form than we thought it would be in. I am um, not the biggest rom-com fan. I know some who are, and um, I think it romanticizes, I won't get it, actually, I won't say that. But nevertheless, it's pretty usual rom-com Storylines, like there's, I don't know how many movies there are like this, where you know you you got the guy and the girl and they're doing the whole like is it gonna work out kind of thing, and then but then there's a best friend, you know, the best friend, and like this is gonna work out and work out, and it doesn't really work out, but then the end they they realize the best friend is actually what I've wanted and needed the whole time, you know what I'm saying? Y'all, was there? There's a couple movies like that, right? Like y'all can send me an email and I'll I'll watch them over the break. But here's, here's literally what I think for many of us who are in Christ, is there was some sort of experience initially in our life where we did actually realize Jesus was the one we were waiting for. Where we were like, it's him. I thought it was something else, but it's Jesus. I don't know what it's, what it's like for you, for those of you in Christ, but you most likely had that experience. You, you've been running after something, but then you finally realize, nah, it's Jesus. But over time, what can happen to us is we start to forget that Jesus is the one we've been waiting for, and now we start to chase after these other things, as if we don't have Jesus right here. And I believe this season is an incredible season to let Jesus just get back into the center and to realize he and himself, the person of Jesus, our experience of him, our engagement with him is everything we've needed. Look at verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, listen to what he says. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is like the opposite of most Christmas songs, right? 
what I'm saying? Like joy to the world, all this stuff. It's like joy to the world, you'll rise and fall. And your own soul will be pierced, right? Like that's not the song we typically sing. Yet this is what Simeon is saying. That you, we've been waiting for something, the consolation of Israel, this comfort. But funny enough, how he ends it is with something that sounds very uncomfortable, right? Like he ends it by saying, gee, this guy is going to cause the rise and fall of a lot of people in Israel. And Mary, you know what else is going to happen? He, your son, is going to pierce your soul. Like, dang, think about raising that baby. (laughs) And again, I think we think consolation, comfort, looks a particular kind of way. But this text is saying it looks so different. It comes in a different form, and it does something entirely different. Actually, the comfort of Jesus comes like a sword. Jesus says, in parts in his ministry, I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. I will divide father and mother, children from parents. What it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is that the message is foolishness to some, but it's the power to save for others. What it says in 1 Peter is, is that he's a stumbling block which some will trip over. Like Jesus has come to divide to, but not just to say, yeah, I'm in or I'm out, but actually to divide our own soul. To, what it says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Jesus, when we really receive him, the thing, the one who's going to comfort us, he comes like a sword and gets right into our heart. And he starts just cutting away all the old. Those things we've been waiting on that we don't need, he literally starts just cutting that off of us. That's one of the reasons he don't even give it to us. He's like, you're waiting for this thing, thinking you need it, and I'm trying to cut it out, of you, cut it out to begin with there's an idol there. There's something you're desiring I don't want to give you. And I'm trying to cut it out, not to be cruel, but to actually console you so that you can actually have the peace that can only come from Christ, that he would shake us up in a way, that he wants to get into us and start cutting things out. And so I don't know what you're waiting on or what you're waiting for. Maybe it is something that God does want to give. It's not wrong to pray for things. It could be but it also could be something God actually wants to cut off. Cut off so that he can truly comfort. Ben, you come back up. He finished reading Anna's waiting. There's also a prophet named Anna. She's a daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. So most likely, this old prophetess was a widow for something like 60 years. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So here you have an elderly widow like this is, I think this is crazy. You have an elderly widow who's been widowed most likely 60 years. And you just got to go, there's no way that in herself, like all the things that she typically wanted to wait for and wanted that she got. 
Like, there's no way. She'd been living by herself since her husband died. And every day, now, what is she doing? Fasting and praying. She couldn't have fasted every day, but every day, she, you know, she's, she's doing something like this and praying and just residing in the temple. And coming up at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So Anna, this prophetess, gets this opportunity to just encourage Mary and Joseph about the child and to actually witness this child who would be the redemption. And again, I think like Simeon, there's no way this is what she thought her whole life was building to, but it was building to this nevertheless. This is how we will know her for all eternity. This elderly widow who is praying and fasting and finally gets to see Jesus and just praises over him that the redemption of Israel. And again, I just want to say when it comes to waiting, like God does things so differently than we would ever anticipate. Like we think our story or our plan is going to be mapped out like this and he comes in sideways and he gives us something entirely different. But what I believe this text teaches us is that it's good when it's Jesus. And that regardless of our circumstances, regardless if we're delivered from the thing we want to be delivered from, we have Jesus who was delivered to us. So it ends, the text ends, Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord. They returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is our Savior. This is the one person who's worth waiting for. And he's the one that if we are in Christ, we have. For those of you who've actually never truly experienced Jesus, who've never truly got to experience what it's like to kind of throw down those things we're waiting for that can't fulfill and get to taste Jesus, I just want you to know I think today is a good day. I think this season's a great season. The season represents the incarnation, meaning God did indeed become flesh, meaning God was not content to just stay in heaven apart from you. Instead, he decided he'd wrap himself in humanity and come down to us so you could know him. This is not a one-time saving event that now we're through and we can just look back and now we got fire insurance. No, instead, this is a relationship that's intended to sit on us for the rest of our lives. To always be the thing that we get to enjoy is Jesus. I just want you to know it is good. He is good. He's someone who will be with you regardless of your waiting, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the hardship in your life. He's a person who will walk beside you, that you can always talk to, whom word you can always read and you can always hear from. He's never silent. This is Jesus. And what does he require of you? Nothing but faith. Nothing but faith. No works. No cleaning up a mess. No fixing the things that you need to fix before you come to him. No, he comes while we are still sinners. Just faith. We have people around the room who will pray with you. Pastors will be down front after the service. Let me pray and we'll sing. Father in heaven, we do come before you thankful that you're a God worth waiting for. Thankful that you do come like a sword and you do cut off things we need cut off and you do renew things we need renewed. I first wanna ask, I wanna pray, Jesus, for those of us who are in you but have forgot that you are the thing that satisfies our desires. We're in you, but we've forgotten that you're worth living for. 
that living for you is a joy, we've forgotten that. And so I just pray, Lord Jesus, you would not just remind us, but you'd refine us and put us on a new path. <clears throat> but for those of us, God, who've never got to truly taste you, but have been waiting for something to be fulfilled, won't this be the day where you open their eyes, illuminate their hearts, Holy Spirit, regenerate them, bring them to life like only you can. Show them that the, the news that Jesus has become flesh defeated sin and death and rose again is the best news that they could ever hear. Won't you do that today, God? We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.